Tucker Carlson blamed the insurrection of the Capitol not only on the Democrats as being an inside job, but on the George Floyd protest and on George Floyd himself. He's noting that there are reports that certain people had pre-planned the attack, including the FBI, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and Capitol Police, who are perhaps responsible for the insurrection of violence that day. But he questions is, why would they lie about this? Quote, for an answer, think back to last spring. Beginning on Memorial Day, BLM and their sponsors in corporate America completely changed this country. They've changed this country more in five months than it has changed in the previous 50 years. How did they do that? They used the sad death of a man called George Floyd to upend our society. Months later, we learned that the story they told of us about George Floyd's death was an utter lie. Tucker Carlson continues with, There was no physical evidence that George Floyd was murdered. The autopsy shows that George Floyd almost certainly died of a drug overdose of fentanyl. Tucker Carlson finished his broadcast by saying, but by that point, the facts doesn't matter. Cities have been destroyed, along with the fabric of the country itself. Scores of people have been killed. Democratic partisans use a carefully cohorted myth, a lie, to bum-rush America into overturning the old order and handing them so much more power. It worked flawlessly. So why wouldn't they do it again? Listen here, you low-life piece of You white supremacy son of a You no-good white privilege And you know what? One more thing, you lying mother. Welcome to Radical Truth to Power, the progressive news show with less BSery. Radical Truth to Power is the everyday black man's perspective on the world of progressive politics national and world events, and general life itself. My name is Marlon, and today we're, we'll be discussing the unknown history of slavery in America. If you like my content, please don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a review. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or our Facebook page. You can also follow me on YouTube under Radical Truth to Power, and if so, Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, and give a likes up. Give a thumbs up, sorry. You can also email me at radtp at outlook.com. That's R-A-D-T-P at outlook.com. We have a lot to cover today, so let's get started. We all know the story of Francis Scott Key. He is author of the American National Anthem, The Star-Spangled Banner. We also know that he wrote it in 1812 during the War of 1812. 
What you may not know is that Francis Scott Key was a wealthy slave owner and a back to Africa colonizationist. What the story tells you is he witnessed 25 hours of the bombing of Fort McHenry in Baltimore. And after seeing the White House burn, Key was so moved that he wrote the national anthem. However, he was moved by something else. He was moved for the fact that he was seeing enslaved black people fighting alongside of the British. So moved for the fact that he wrote a third verse of the Star Spangled Banner. The third verse goes, No refuge could save the hinderling and the slaves from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And the Star Spangled Banner in triumph does wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave. So you see in Francis Scott Key's eyes, when he says land of the free, he is viewing this new nation as slave-owning republic of free white men, not all men. Let's move on to the beginning. According to the Transatlantic Slave Trade Database, 12.5 million African-American people were forcefully separated from their family and taken to America and enslaved between 1525 and 1866. However, what is not told is of those African Americans, only 10.7 million managed to live through the horrific journey known as the Middle Passage. What is also not widely known is America was not the epicenter of slavery. That would be Brazil. So it was an estimated 4.86 million enslaved people was taken to Brazil. In comparison, only 450,000 African Americans was transferred to and enslaved in the United States. Now, in 1777, Vermont became the first state in the North to abolish slavery after the U.S. liberated itself from Britain. 27 years later, all the northern states vowed to abolish slavery, but it continued to be practiced in the North for years. That's because the northern states implemented legislation that made abolishing gradual rather than immediate. For an example, Philadelphia passed its Act for Gradual Abolishment of Slavery in 1780. In 1750, hundreds of black people in Philadelphia continued to live in bondages just more than a decade before the Civil War began in 1861. In 1807, U.S. Congress passed a law banning the importation of enslaved African-American people a legislation that was similar to what Great Britain did the same year. But this move wasn't a shock to anybody. It wasn't even groundbreaking, considering that since the children of these enslaved people will be born into slavery, it wasn't illegal for American enslavers to trade those individuals domestically, meaning the Congressional Act did not have a marked impact on enslavement in the United States. Now, I'm not going to spend very much time on the physical toll and labor and the physical abuse of the Negroes in America during slavery. But I do want to address one act that slave owners used to do 
that's not really talked about too much in history books. And that is the breeding of vicious dogs solely to track, attack, and capture runaway slaves. See, these dogs was called Negro dogs, and they were strong aggressive breeds like bloodhounds and bulldogs, which could tear a man to pieces. In fact, slave owners used to allow the dogs to viciously maul captured slaves. However, they subdued the dog right before it killed them. These infamous Negro dolls was called Dingo Cabanos. The dolls was a breed by crossing a Spanish war dog with the English Muffet scent hound. Unsurprisingly, the dolls went extinct after slavery was abolished in Cuba. Negro dolls are trained with real slaves. They never saw a black slave until they was required to pursue them during the training. Their reward for the capture was a chunk of meat. Let's move on to the psychological warfare played against the black men and women and children during slavery in the United States. I want you all to remember the name Samuel Cartwright. He was a medical doctor during the pro-slavery South and he supported slavery even, even going as far as using medicine and science to justify it. In 1849, he was appointed the leader of a Louisiana State Committee tasked with documenting the diseases of African Americans. Cartwright submitted his report, which was titled Diseases and Physical Peculiarities of the Negro Race. He claimed that blacks were inferior to whites. According to Cartwright, blacks had small brains, immature nervous systems, and sensitive skins all of which made them good slaves. He added that blacks would never be happy unless they were slaves. Cartwright also added that slaves sometimes get infected with draptomania, a Greek word meaning crazy or runaway slave. This order was supposedly caused by masters who treated their slaves like humans. Cartwright also wrote that slaves planning to run away often get sulky and dissatisfied without any reason. However, if these slaves are recaptured, they could be cured by, quote, whipping the devil out of them and amputating their toes. If science and medicine doesn't work for you, let's move on to religion. As in, how about slave owners used to use two separate Bibles? Now, slave owners used to teach their slaves about Christianity. However, they could not use the true Bible because it did contain several passages that counteracted slavery. The stripped-down version of these Bibles was called Parts of the Bible and was used mostly for the Negro slaves in the British West Isles, which is now called the Slave Bible. The masters would purposely leave out portions of the Bible that made slavery seem normal, like the parts where Joseph was kept as slaves in Egypt. However, they removed other portions, such as where the Israelites freed from their oppressors in Egypt, which the white slaves feared would encourage the slaves to rebel. The creator of the slave Bible remained unknown. Some source indicated the book could be the handwriting of white plantation owners who used it to discourage their slaves to, from revolt. 
Others thought they were white missionaries who wanted to teach the slaves only the chapters that would support the fact that their situations of being slaves was normal. So we have science and medicine and we have religion. So what else can we do? Oh yeah, we can always steal them back. We all know the story of the Underground Railroad during the Civil War. In case you don't know, it was a network of homes and hideouts ran by free blacks and whites against slavery to help runaway slaves escape to pro-slavery South to the anti-slavery North. Well, counteracting that was the reverse Underground Railroad, which worked the opposite way. Runaway slaves and free slaves were kidnapped in the North and sold in the South. Kidnapped free slaves often had difficulty proving that they were free because the courts often rejected their papers over forgery concern. Other free black people could not testify that a fellow black was a free man because the law forbidden blacks to testify against whites in courts. Only a white could prove that a black was a free man. However, many whites could not participate because they would be hated for helping black men and sending a white man to prison. We all know about the 13th Amendment. The 13th Amendment was used to abolish slavery within the United States after the Civil War. What you don't know is that there is a passage in the 13th Amendment, a law permitting slavery and involuntary servitude as a punishment for crime. Southern states knew about this, which is the reason why they started arresting blacks for any crime, including, quote, unemployment. The crime was punishable with a huge fine, which, of course, the blacks could not pay because they was unemployed. So they was imprisoned and released to private businesses, which used them for manual labor. This was called convict lease system. Over 200,000 blacks became victims of the convict lease system. Conditions were terrible just as they were at the same as slavery. The least convict had dangerous jobs under inhumane conditions. They was also whipped, chained, and stabbed. Blacks quickly became so infamous as convicts that the word convicts and Negroes was considered the same thing. I wanted to end the show off with addressing two myths. Let's start with the first myth. All Southerners own slavery. The truth is only 25% of Southerners own slavery. In fact, the biggest slave owners was Texas. When it established statehood, Texas had a shorter period of Anglo-American charter slavery than any other Southern state, only between 1845 and 1865, because Spain and Mexico had occupied the region for almost one half of the 19th century with policies that either abolished or limited slavery. Still, the number of people impacted by the wealth and income equality is staggering. By 1860, the Texans' enslaved population was 182,566, but slaveholders represented 27% of the population, but controlled 68% of the government position and 73% of the wealth. Another myth that I'd like to address that I've heard mostly all my life is slavery was a long time ago. 
Well, the truth of the matter is, blacks have been freed in this country far less time than they was enslaved. Blacks have been free for 152 years, which means that most Americans are only two or three generations away from slavery. That is not a long time ago. To put that in perspective, former slaveholders' families have built their legacies on the institution and generated wealth that blacks have not had access to because they were enslaved forced labor. Meanwhile, segregation maintained wealth disparity by convert discrimination limiting blacks' recovery efforts. So what does this all mean? Well, it means that, yes, the black race have come a long way in the United States. But you have to remember where we started from. And you have to remember that we have a long way to go when we can be seen as equals to anyone in the United States other than ourselves. I'm sure that you also know that this is a lot shorter of a podcast show than normal. That's because next week, I'm going to be bringing you the unheard stories of the civil rights movement. So I wanted to keep this short just to make sure that I could keep your attention of these two prolific events in our black history. Well, that's our show for today. If you like, please subscribe to the show. Leave a comment. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or our Facebook page by the same name. You can also follow me on YouTube under the same name, Radical Truth to Power. If you are, please give a thumbs up, like, and subscribe. You can email me at radtp at outlook.com. That's R-A-D-T-P at outlook.com. And until next time, I'll see you when I see you.